Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Mark, chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. It's interesting as I um, come back into town and see so many of my friends um, that I haven't gotten to hang out with in a while, how often you say the words, man, we got to get together. Man, we we need to hang out more. Um, it's one of those phrases I feel like is used um, quite a bit. I use it quite a bit. And yet, do I really know the need of what that means in me? One of the things that I've noticed is I was putting up things in our attic yesterday. I spent a lot of time yesterday in our attic <laughs> putting up, I'm sure some of y'all may have been doing the same, uh, putting up Christmas items uh, that seem to continue to get more and more every year. Is just seeing memories up there, you know, just see, you see a lot of different things. You know, the, obviously the stuff you pull down once a year, like Christmas stuff. But, you know, there's stuff up there like, you know, our kids' clothes when they're younger. And other things you just see, like, you know, dining room chairs that are old. Or things that just kind of remind you of stuff. And I was just walking around up there. spent a lot of time up there yesterday, more than I wanted to in the cold. It just made me think, gosh, is that how I kind of treat my friends? You know, are they, are they relationships of mine that I, so often I'll, I'll just kind of maybe once in a while pull down the door and, you know, have access to whenever I kind of need it or it's that time of year or it kind of presses in on me. But do I really take inventory of my relationships? And I just thought, man, I, I really need to learn what it means to be a better friend. Because it's so easy for me to handle my friendships in that way. And as I read, I mean, I've mentioned this to you guys and somebody even said this to me some time ago. They said, do you really believe all that stuff you say about loneliness? I, I talk about loneliness a lot. And, uh, and it's not just because I've struggled with it. It's because I know that you all do too. It's because when I read things, whether it's in an article or statistics, that it, it, all around us, people think they're connected and they aren't. We think that we have these deep connections and friendships, and yet we oftentimes look up and go, who really knows me? Who do I really know? And how do we really press in on that? I was sent an article um, some time ago just by a friend, and it was so funny how many people, it was an article about 
men, how men handle friendships. But how many of people I talked to are like, yeah, I was thwarted that too. <laughs> and it was about how the title was, you know, the biggest threat facing middle-aged men isn't smoking or obesity, it's loneliness. And it was such an interesting article. It was very true. And as I kind of dug into this idea of loneliness, I still am. I'm talking to people who have done research, done grad programs on it. I mean, even the Surgeon General of a few, a few years ago said that the health, greatest health issue in the country isn't cancer or heart disease or obesity. It is isolation. And I want to say to you, the number one answer for that is friendship. How are we friends with each other? I mean, it even affects us physically. There are studies that talk about that. But yet this article, it's so interesting about the, uh, and it doesn't just mention men, it mentions men and women. The article says this, but admitting that you're lonely feels very much like admitting you're a loser. Psychiatry has worked hard to destigmatize things like depression and to a large part, it has been successful, but people are comfortable saying they're depressed, but they're not comfortable saying they're lonely because then you're like the kids sitting alone in the cafeteria. How many of us are willing to admit that we have people that really know us in our lives? Because most of our relationships, aren't they highly practical or pragmatic, whether it's a job, whether it's school, whether it's family? But where do we really have people that know us and we are known? Where do friendships happen? This passage is an interesting one because it it occurs a couple different times in the scriptures. And the word here for neighbor, which is actually brought up, right? Even the great parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, you may have heard of the Good Samaritan. This is kind of couched even in that, that language of neighbor. We handle in our English-speaking world the word neighbor differently than the Hebraic understanding. For us, it may mean somebody who's near us or maybe it's something, someone we can help. But the Hebraic understanding of, of neighbor actually was much broader in general. It actually, in, except for three places in the Bible, includes the understanding of friendship. It's the idea of actually being in relationship with both God and others. And what does that mean? It it means, I think, characterized in three major ways. And I think this is a, a scriptural thing drawn together as Jesus does here as he says, we can put it together, you shall love the, the, the greatest commandment, right? <laughs> here, uh, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He ties it all together. And I think that's tying all the scriptures together to say that friendship is to enter in. It is to know and be known. And it's to abide. To enter in, to know and be known, and to abide. What does it mean to have friendship with God and with others? It means those things. Is to enter in here is, is one that Man, we just talked about that at Christmas. Isn't that what the Advent is? Jesus entering in. But here's, in this passage, this is a regular discussion. The scribes themselves were often having these discussions about commandments. This wasn't unusual. It wasn't just because Jesus was on the scene. They were always talking about how can we take the commandments and make them doable? 
You know, how can we actually do these things? Does that not sound like a resolution, <laughs> right? Sounds like, how can we actually, okay, how can I actually do the things in my life that I really want to do? That's what they were talking about. And they, talk, they disputed and discussed it quite a bit. The problem they often had, though, was trying to reduce the commandments so much to where they lessened all of them for the sake of one of them. But they were always having this discussion. Which commandment is the greatest? Which one really kind of heralds all the other, right? I mean, how do we do that? And Jesus is on the scene and he leaves them stunned at the end. They don't, nobody wants to ask him any more questions. It sounds like Jesus, you know, in, in the discussion there, just mic drop, go. But what he does there is he's not reducing the commandments. He's summing them up. And here's what's interesting. He connects them to love. Instead of what it seems like the scribes are wanting to do here, the lawyers in this period of making it transactional. Jesus is making it transformational. And I think it's easy to look at the commands and to look at the Bible and to think of our relationship with God and others as how, how do I have a formula that actually works for that? How do I actually have a formula that makes me go, yes, I'm comfortable, I'm safe, I'm okay. But entering in is messy. Entering in isn't that. It's not easy. Like I said, the, the Hebraic understanding of neighbor means much more than just, okay, how am I taking cookies to my neighbor when they need it? How am I caring for the person I see on the corner when I see that need? It's actually entering in. It's a process of giving yourself Lewis, who's C.S. Lewis, who's an author, if you're unfamiliar with him, he's quoted quite a bit about friendship. One of the things he says about friendship is sharing life, where you say, you look up and you say, you too. He says, friendship isn't going out and looking for someone that's dating, but going looking for something and you look up and you see that you share a common goal or interest with someone. And a question for you is this. What do your current friendships look like? Now, it could be interesting that if you say a common goal is, now that's often taken, it could be a messy goal, a problem. Sharing you too can be harmful, right? If you're not centered around something else that's healthy and good. But what are your friendships like? What would your friends, the people you would say are your friends, what would they say it's like to be friends with you? How would they say you're a friend? Would they say, well, we share these things. What do you share? Do they feel as though they know maybe how many kids you have? Maybe what kind of job you do? What, kind of, what do you major in? Or do they really know you? Is there an entering in into the relationship? Or is it just hover on the surface? Because when Jesus is talking about that, he's talking about entering into what's difficult. You know, one of the things I, I, I recall hearing over and over, and maybe whether it's not just said this way, but it's talked about, is that I don't want to be a burden to anybody. But isn't that what it means to be a friend? Like, isn't that what it means to actually enter into someone's life is, is to actually not just take someone's burden, but to care. When, when, when Paul talks about this, Paul, who is an apostle, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, 
Paul, who wrote many letters to churches, he writes in one called Galatians, he says, we're to bear one another's burdens. And oftentimes that phrase is taken out of context. It doesn't mean you take the burdens or you throw it on someone. It means you come underneath with. You carry the burden with them. And you walk with them in it. How much are we really doing that? Would people say that they know you enough to actually enter into that part? You know how we really grow in relationships is through those things. It's through our suffering. It's through the pain that people know and they can actually connect with. I would venture to say in taking Lewis, C.S. Lewis's quote further, it's not just sharing you two in terms of the things you like. I would say you two in terms of the things that you struggle with, you suffer in. Anne Lamott wrote a, an interesting um, short story about how the gospel, this good news, actually affected her as a neighbor. What does it mean to be a neighbor? She talked about what does it mean to wash someone's toilet? Listen to this. Last night I decided it was crazy to believe in Christ. And then something truly amazing happened. A man from church showed up at our front door, smiling and waving to me and Sam, that's her son, and I let him in. After exchanging pleasantries, he said, Margaret and I wanted to do something for you and the baby. So what I want to ask is, what, is if, what if a fairy appeared on your doorstep and said that he or she would do any favor you ask at all? Anything you wanted around the house that you, need, that you need or you felt too exhausted to do by yourself and too ashamed to ask anyone else to help you with. And she, Anne, Anne Lamont kept saying, I, I can't even say. I said, it's too horrible. It's too horrible, she said. But he finally convinced me to tell him and I said it would be to clean the bathroom. And he ended up spending an hour scrubbing the bathtub and toilet and sink with Ajax and lots of hot water. And I sat on the couch while he worked watching TV, feeling vaguely guilty and nursing Sam to sleep. But it made me feel sure of Christ again, of that kind of love. This, a man scrubbing a new mother's bathtub, is what Jesus means to me. How many of us are actually... Look, you don't have to just show on somebody's doorstep. Here's what's interesting about that. How many of us are entering into one another's lives in small ways that show that you're not willing, you're not just there to, to do this. You're there to actually enter into the life. And that it should make it, what I love is her being honest about how it makes her uncomfortable. Shouldn't real friendship kind of push us in those places? Shouldn't it cause us to feel uncomfortable? Because someone actually is coming into a place and seeing the disgusting parts of us, not just the toilet, but the toilet of our hearts. <laughs> Seriously. Doesn't Jesus decide to do that? And isn't it often, can I say this to us as a church, isn't it often and easy for us to come in here, and many of you may have said this, and many of you may feel this, or heard someone else say this, here or anywhere, that you come into these walls and you go, no one, I don't, how do I really connect here? Who really knows me here? I'm having a hard time in this place. I don't, I don't know if this is the place for me. I have to ask two questions. One is, if we all said that, how would we ever stay in this church? How would it ever change? If you're here this morning and maybe you do feel that, 
I want to really challenge you to change that here by saying, you know what? All of us feel it, but nobody wants to say it. And if you're here and you feel super connected, like you see people you know, no, 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 no. How many times are you then reaching out to the people you don't know in this room? Because what's going to model this for the rest of the city? If we all come in the walls here and treat one another of, in the same way that we do when we leave. That we just treat it like it's just an ideal, like the church is an ideal and not a reality. This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote when he wrote this little teeny book on community. Beautiful words. Listen to what he says when he calls us out. He says, innumerable times a Christian community has broken down because it has sprung up from a wishful dream. But God's grace speedily shatters such dreams. Only that fellowship which faces such disillusionment with all its unhappy and ugly aspects begins to be what God, uh, what it should be in God's sight. What does it mean to have a place here? It means to be a friend. It means to learn to enter in. Friendship is hard. Looking up and saying you too doesn't mean you're always on the same page. It doesn't mean it's everyone looks like you. Do all your friends look like you, talk like you, act like you? Are they just like you? Or is there something greater than just the commonalities of your interests? It has been more surprising to me over the years to learn in myself what I've needed in friendship with people who are so different from me. And I always thought, and I even thought this uh, in, in marriage, <laughs> thought this in friendship, is that we need to have you on the same page. But what I've found is the greatest thing for me as a person, as a friend, is those people who, man, I, I'm not 100% like at all. <laughs> and they have completely different interests. And yet where we stand together is they enter into the places I would be scared to. Remember being, I just talked to this guy. He's now a, a, a JAG lawyer in the army uh, years ago. He was one of my first students when I was a, a campus minister in, gosh, 2005. Uh, great guy. And I was just talking to him, I talked to him for about an hour on the phone uh, about a month ago. And this guy was one of those students at the time who was uh, totally different, somewhat awkward, not the guy who people would necessarily uh, be a roommate or even seek out roommates. And there was a group of, of other guys who decided they were going to ask him to live with them and they did for like two years it was just awesome to see how this friendships bloomed and grew and I remember asking these guys and even telling them I said guys what a great thing that you did for him that's so awesome and I remember talking to this guy about it too and they kind of they didn't rebuke me but in the moment I was kind of rebuked by their answer they basically looked back at me and they said we didn't ask him to be our roommate for, for him. We asked him to do it for us. We need him. 
And this guy to this day, I will say, is blown me away, not just by his maturity as he's grown, but because of what that meant for him and those other guys to say, it's not about, we need to reach out to him for him, take care of this awkward, he doesn't have a roommate, he, he didn't, we need him for us. How much are we reaching out to people because we need that. Friendships in our lives that enter in and of knowing and being known. Notice in this passage, when Jesus says this, he says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. What's he getting at? He's not dividing up everything. He's saying the whole person, there's a love here, the whole of us. It's a deep relationship. And then you love your neighbor as yourself. There's this comprehensive love involved there. And love is a knowledge. It's a, it's a, it's a deep penetrating knowledge of, of, your, of who you are. And even knowing in this passage, oddly enough, knowing yourself enough to also connect to your neighbor, those around you, those friends. In ancient Greece at the time, Aristotle came up with this understanding of friendship. And he gave, he gave actually three conditions of friendship. I thought were fascinating. And they were considered, the three kinds of friendship were of good people, of utility, and of pleasure. And I'll kind of go backwards on those. The good friendship of pleasure was that got people that we kind of enjoy. We enjoy them and the friendship's contingent on feelings. You know, we can, you kind of know someone, they're just, a, they're just a great person to hang out with. You know, they're a good hang. You know, somebody you can just get to know. That was kind of the pleasure, friendship of pleasure. Somebody that just made you just, just kind of excited about life. But where that can kind of fall short is the question of, you may be a good person to hang out with, but how many times do those people step back and go, they're fun to talk to or go to an event with, but I don't know them very well. Are you really known? Or are you someone that maybe is simply just a fun hang and yet where are the parts of you that are met and understood and known? The other one was the friendship of utility. What can I get from this friendship? How does it kind of benefit me, get me? And, and this is oftentimes the one I think is a friendship of, of uh, a, a common goal. You know, oftentimes, and many of you in this room may be a part of these, you know, when you're a part of like a CrossFit or a part of some sort of workout regime or uh, something like that. You know, maybe you're uh, in, uh, at a certain, in your job, it's the same thing, you know. Maybe you're a part of a really deep intensive workspace and you connect over a common goal, but it can be so easy. At the end of the day, you can work out with those people and you can do those things, but you can be around them as much as possible and have a common goal and yet never know them and never be known yourself. It can always be about that one little common goal. We finished our workout. We finished our job. We finished our class. We finished those things. And yet, who really knows you, loves you? You can walk away. And, and this is the, you want to hear the phrase I hear the most is so many people in this city are entertained and around people all the time and yet never are known by those people. They can feel as lonely as anything in a group. And maybe even more so because they know, does anybody in this group really know me? Those things that I'm scared to be known about. 
Friendships aren't clean. They're not just functional. As if even the friendship of good that each wishes for the good for each other, but how much do we enter into the mess? They're not just functional. They're not just transactional. They're to be transformational. They're to be real. My dear friends, he's a pastor, uh, John Stone. We were talking about friendship and I, I, he wrote one of the, my favorite things about it. It's very convicting. I want to read what he wrote when we were discussing this. He kind of wrote it out and I copied it. It's like, this is great. Listen to what he says. It's a little lengthy, but it's worth what he says. The thing that strikes me about the question of friendship is this. In the same way that Tim Keller, who's a, uh, an author and a pastor in New York City, talks about marriage in his book, where he says that marriage at the same time has become overly romanticized by our culture and despised, this seems to be the case with friendship. We long for it, but we don't believe it is possible at the very same instance. That means that friendship has too much weight put on it and that we are looking for perfect friends. We don't have friends because we and they are not perfect, so we will not commit to them, nor will they commit to us. Friendship has failed in so many ways, you see, because we expect it to be perfectly natural. Nothing is perfectly natural. In fact, everything is perfectly unnatural. To be a friend, I have to make myself forgiving. No Hallmark card for that. It isn't our busyness and achievement that keeps us from this. Some of the busiest and more decorated achievers of the past had great friends. It is our perfectionism and legalism about what a real person is, about what a real friend is that keeps us from people. If I go looking for someone to redeem me, then the thing has no chance at all. But if I go looking for love and someone to validate me, then it won't work. But if I go looking for someone who I will have to forgive them and who I will have to apologize to, then friendship can start. Friendship cannot stand up to our expectations, so it's died. That is a friend. Do you have friends that you actually apologize to? Do you have friends that you've actually hurt or they've hurt you and you've come back together and you have actually worked through it. That is friendship. Where there is deep penetrating change, where there is that difficulty, where's that twisting and turning. And that is friendship. And I, I agree completely with him. It nails it on the head for me. This perfection, this idea, this ideal that we have all these people in our lives, whether it's a little or a lot, that fit just neatly in the little categories for us. But that's not real friendship. Friendship is messy. Friendship is, and sure there are natural parts to it. Sure there are natural connections. There are natural enjoyments, natural things. But what he's saying is, is it's still a mess. And isn't this the same with our relationship with God? Do you know when Jesus in John chapter 15 talks about his commandment to his disciples, he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than someone who lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing but I have called you my friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. 
That passage is astounding to me. Jesus is looking at a group of people that he knows will reject him, that he knows continually don't understand what he's talking about, and yet he continues to enter in. He continues to let himself be known. And here's what's amazing about Christianity, that we simply think, we often think that it is obscurity and difficult. How do we know God more? How do we... Jesus is saying, God is not hiding from us. Jesus is saying, I'm not hiding from you. I've made you my friends. He doesn't need us. And yet he calls us to be his friends. He doesn't change the relationship of being their teacher or not. He, but he says, the difference is, I make you my friend. You know me. I will make myself known. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what the master is doing. He says, I'm bringing you into this relationship in a different way. You want to know what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself? Look at how Jesus loves us. Look at how he enters in. Look at how he does not hold back of being known. He lets himself be known so much so he's willing to be hurt, and he does. Isn't that the point of the gospel? Isn't that the distinctive of Christianity over anything else? If you're here this morning and maybe you're just coming back into the church, maybe that's one of your resolutions is to come back into the church. I wanna encourage you that the distinctive of Christianity and the difference is, is that it's not just about taking on new rules. He's saying, doing what I command, it means you're ordering your life around your love and Jesus takes us in his love and brings us up into himself. That is the good news. That's the gospel. That's the difference. It's not just taking on new teachings. It's taking on a person. It's a life. It's a wholeness of him. It's who he is in that. And shouldn't that transform us as being good friends? Shouldn't that change us? Shouldn't that transform us the way that we allow people to ask us hard things and we ask them hard things? Shouldn't that allow us to, to move into places with our friends and even risk making new friends when it's hard, when we still feel lonely? Even when you have the closest people in your life, you can still feel lonely. It's not about perfection. It's about reality. And here's the third thing that Jesus does that's incredible. And it's all at this table. Do you know what he shows us? He shows us what it means to abide. It's a word that comes up often, and we talked about this even in Christmas time, but it means that he is with us, his indwelling. Brett spoke about it this morning. It's the fact that we forget we're loved all the time. We're, you're gonna leave these doors, and if you think of this as a great pep talk of how to make friends, you're gonna still feel lonely. What this table's about is a reminder that you and I need over and over that God keeps us. A true friend keeps. A true friend is that one where you're in the middle of the day, you feel so down and hard and that person texts you and says, how you doing? I remember our conversation from last week. We haven't talked in a while, but I'm, 
I'm real, just know that I'm with you today. And they may not even know what you're going through at the moment. But all of a sudden you realize there's someone else with you there and you're not alone. This table is an even greater message of that. It is a reminder that Jesus always keeps you because he doesn't just send you a text. He gives you his body and blood to taste and experience and remind you that you are never left. Hallelujah, what a savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end. That is friendship. <sighs> Praise be to God. Because we have a Savior that loves us in ways that we cannot even put words on. This is a table for the friends of Jesus. This is a table for you, if, even if you're here and you feel lonely. Maybe you feel lonely from Jesus. He wants you to come and be reminded that you're kept. And maybe you're here this morning and you kind of say, I don't, I don't know if I'm a friend of Jesus. I, I appreciate this, what we've heard and sung and, and maybe what the Bible's talking about. I would encourage you not to come and take, if you're exploring Christianity, if you're in a place where you're kind of saying, I want to learn who Jesus is, observe, don't come and do this in your own integrity. Don't come and, and take of this table if you don't know what it is. Come forward, you fold your hands and receive prayer or stay in your seat and pray. But remain and think, contemplate. And if you're here this morning, we're about to stand now, we're going to give a confession of the Apostles' Creed. It says, I believe. And this is a statement of friendship of our Savior. So let's stand now.